0: Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Director of Outreach for the Naval Institute. With me is my partner and uh, usual suspect, retired Navy Captain Bill Hamlet, who is the Deputy Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine. Bill. Hey, great, Ward. Great well, to be welcome here. Welcome back. It's great to be here. Oh. Another beautiful day in Annapolis. Welcome back from uh, the hiatus. We did not do a podcast last week because you
1: were uh, down I was at Florida. the National
0: Dog Show, of all places. Um Yeah. We have a German wire-haired pointer that um, my wife campaigns, um, who, uh, you know, she got second in her class. So we're very proud of her. <laughs> but she didn't get any points towards her uh, her championship. So uh, she's still not a champion. She needs five points towards her championship. But, you know, being around that environment is pretty cool. It's, uh, you know, it's a big deal. It's the, the national dog show. And, uh yep. The other fun things is they have the dock diving, which is a lot of fun to watch the dogs dive into the dock or into the water off the dock. That's really cool. And then they have the agility, which is like they go through this O course. You know, the dogs go through this obstacle course for time. Is, so those is, kinds of things. Is your fun. dog particularly agile? She is, but she's not trained in, in those things. She's, she does more of the uh, um, just the beauty pageant stuff, just uh, um, the, the, the dog show part. Got it. Now, we're going to get her into dock diving, we think, because she, she loves to jump. Um, but first, we want to get her her AKC championship. So, m- enough about dogs. <laughs> That's where I was last week. But we're uh, very happy to be back today. We're talking, going to talk about the literal combat ship um, and uh, looking forward to the discussion.
1: Yeah. So, Ward, we asked uh, today uh, one of our most prolific proceedings authors, uh, surface warfare officer, Uh, uh, 2017 uh, Captain Kevin Iyer who has written for Proceedings and Proceedings Today uh, I I can't even count how many times this year Uh, and particularly Kevin has um, he's kind of been the voice of of the the Navy, the conscience almost of the surface warfare community, after the collisions of the Fitzgerald and the McCain, uh, so Kevin, a lot of our listeners and readers will probably remember um, the piece right out of the uh, out of the gates uh, just after the after the uh, Fitzgerald had its collision uh, back in at the end of June. we quickly published uh, kevin Iyer's piece called it 's a Big Ocean." Where Kevin described, you know, what it's like to be uh, the commanding officer of uh, of a warship at sea, uh, out in the middle of the Pacific, where you can go for a week and not see anybody, uh, and then when you get close to the approaches of a of a big busy port like uh, Tokyo Wan, where the Fitzgerald was, or San Diego, or Los Angeles, uh, things can get real busy, uh, real confusing, lots of lights uh, on the horizon, other ships, other you know things on the on the shoreline, and that piece really put. Uh, put the the picture together uh, for a lot of our readers who wondered how can a modern, you know, Aegis destroyer have a collision at sea like that. Uh, So Kevin Iyer uh, commanded, he served on seven cruisers during his Navy career. He commanded three of them. Uh, And as I said, he's written for Proceedings a number of times and also was recently a panelist at the Surface Warfare Panel at Defense Forum Washington about uh, two weeks ago. So, Kevin, uh, thanks for joining us today uh, all the way from San Diego and, uh, you know, home to the uh, Third Fleet and a lot of surface combatants out there. How are things in San Diego today?
2: Hey, it's a real pleasure to be here, gentlemen, Ward and Bill. Um, The weather here is lovely as always. I'm sure it's lovely where you are also.
0: Uh probably not as lovely. Um <laughs> so so let let's set this up Kevin. Um so on December 8th uh our uh, US and i news team uh published uh, an article called Report to Congress on Literal Combat Ship Program. I know some people call it Littoral. I, I pronounce it literal. Um and uh in this piece, they embedded the forty-six-page report from the Congressional Research Service. Uh, so we direct the uh, listeners and viewers' attention to that. Um, but let me just read one one paragraph here because it's 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 kind of uh, a good scene setter. Uh, so, and I quote: "The LCS program has been controversial over the years due to past cost growth, design and construction issues with the first LCSs." Concern over the survivability of SCSs, i.e. their ability to withstand battle damage. Concerns over whether LCSs are sufficiently armed and would be able to perform their stated missions effectively. And concerns over the development and testing of the modular mission packages for LCSs. The Navy's execution of the program has been a matter of congressional oversight attention for several years, end quote. So I think that kind of, you know, sets the tone (laughs) for this discussion uh, the other sort of current events uh, footnote I'll add is, uh, you know, Coronado spent, what, over a year in Singapore, welded to the pier there, broken, um, and uh, and just got back um, to much fanfare. And sort of uh, there was an end zone dance done about the health of the program by SecNav and CNO. and. Um, and uh, you know the the, the ship boss and, and some other folks. So that that is sort of what led Bill and I to say, hey, you know the 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 time is right for a proceedings podcast discussion about LCS. So um, why don't you uh, take it from there, uh, uh, Kevin, and, and give us your thoughts about this program at the thirty thousand foot level?
2: Well, I I um, I'm not going to be surprising anyone when I say that. The troubled um, program has been troubled uh, since inception, and I think, in large measure, this can be attributed to uh, the requirement creep that began early in the in the program. Um, I think that the origin of LCS is is well before uh, Admiral Sabrowski and Mr. Hughes. Uh, Coming up with the concept of it as a street fighter, in the 1991 Desert Storm War, it was observed that there were cruisers and destroyers which were doing all sorts of missions that were inappropriate for them, delivering mail, delivering persons, just running around the Gulf willy-nilly – And it was observed that what was really needed was the small kind of delivery vessel. And um, that is what started the entire thinking of it. And then as time went on, and particularly as we came to the end of service life of ships like the Oliver Hazard Perry FFG and the Avenger MCM, uh, the Avenger, of course, is still around. They were casting about for what to do to increase or even maintain fleet size, and and that's how this all came about. And to make a long story short, in 2001, when uh, Donald Rumsfeld became the Secretary of Defense and uh, Admiral Clark became the CNO, they determined that they would uh, initiate a transformation, take risks and try new things. Um, lean practices of business world, and this was at the same time that there was a concern about the littorals. The ship of the time was a, the DD-21, and uh, it was fell into a competition with Vice Admiral Sabrowski's Street Fighter. Um, DD-21, way too big, way too expensive, so kind of went to the, um, the, the LCS concept, which was kind of activated around 2004. The problem was, is that while everyone agreed that we would have a, a small, lightly manned ship, no one had really decided what the requirements of the ship would be. It will be in the littoral, but what will it do? And there was a tremendous discussion about, well, it would do all these things differently, and the requirement creep began. The price went up. Eventually, in 2007, it was decided that we would make modules. A module cost more than half the cost of a ship, um, and we kind of, like, arrived at a, a, a fine mess, and... Um, Deciding what the mission of these ships are, as you guys well know, the effectiveness of the modules is in is in real question, and has been for some time. Um, I see no no great improvement uh, in that. Um, the there was a lot of a lot of celebration of the Coronado launching a harpoon missile recently. It's completely non-integrated with any other package on the ship. So, you know, I believe that this has more to do with artificially increasing the size of the fleet by building LCS than it has to do with really increasing the uh, surface punch of the fleet.
0: So, yeah, we have a ship that can launch a Harpoon missile. That makes it, what, 1975? You know? Um, yeah, so
2: it's, it's a difficult missile to to get on target in the first place, and uh, y- you know exactly why it missed the target. That that's d- discussable. Conceptually, they uh, the idea is to get some anti-surface punch onto the ship. The problem is, is the ship is of limited size and every additional pound you put on creates a, a weight and moment issue and diminishes the top-end speed of the ship if that's a problem.
0: So this, this is the oldest story ever told in defense procurement. Um, you know, I worked on the V-22 program for three years, uh, which was the poster child of the, the way not to do it and the, eventually the way to get an airplane fielded. Um, You know, we'll be agnostic about the ultimate capability that you get in this discussion, but it was fielded. We're going through the same sort of thing with F-35. It was supposed to be the truck, quote-unquote, to the F-22's Ferrari, Um, but not unlike LCS, we've had mission creep in terms of the requirements, which in turn give a proportional or exponential Increase in cost, which caused delays, so it's over budget and behind schedule. So and then, and then the numbers
1: that you can afford go down, so it becomes less you know less affordable per unit. Right, you know, and, and it, that jacks it, the unit cost right.
0: up. So you know this is this is exactly what's happening. But like you said, Kevin, this thing started with the Admiral Sobrowski idea of quote unquote Street Fighter, which was a uh, you know late twentieth century conception of a PT boat. Um, Post-Cold we, Cold War. Post-Cold so War the, the that would so, get the in Soviet, there.
1: The Soviet fleet has gone back home. We're not going to face a big blue-water Navy threat, right? All right? So we're gonna, the Navy's going to operate within the littorals, have to project power uh, in places like Libya, Syria, Iran, Iraq, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, the South China Sea or something. Uh, but we're not going to face a blue-water Navy.
0: But it, but it starts with this sort of, we want a basic ship, you know that that they, they that, can go fast. They can go fast, not full of a lot of g-whiz stuff, so forth and so on. And it's a basic cable and all Small, of a sudden, small crew. Yeah. Some genius, you know, either in the requirements side of the house or on the defense procurement side, who whispers in the requirements officer' ear, says, "How about mission packages? Right? That'd be neat. Oh, you can plug and play ASW module, uh, AAW module. Uh, you know, the other sort of missionaries that you want to be able to plug and play." So all of a sudden, you're off to the races in terms of integration. Like Kevin's talking about harpoon. We're like, hey, we can shoot a harpoon. Okay, that was a one-off thing that was sort of duct taped onto the ship to be able to execute just for that soundbite of saying we shot a harpoon, you know. Um, So just to look at a few numbers here, uh, again, from the report, the uh, LCS – uh, was is supposed to be for about and it's funny how the report itself talks about not specific numbers but about 32 relatively inexpensive surface combatants equipped with these modular mission packages. First LCS w- was procured in '05. Um, to- to- Twenty nine total have been procured since or through fiscal year 17. Um, so we have two hull types. Right? We have the monohull and the catamaran. Not quite sure why that happened. Um, Again, it harkens back to the idea of the procurement thing with F-35 where we wanted two engines, right? It's like, okay, we want Pratt and Whitney to make an engine, but then um, Rolls-Royce will make a backup engine. It just sounds like okay. This right. is pork to the max, right? It, it,
1: it's it's pork, and it's what uh, you know. When I studied at the National Defense University, the the procurement uh, course was the most depressing course because you got into this mission creep, cost overruns, uh, delays, and the you know the death spiral of programs. Um, you know, and and it, you know we, we talked about it as the the um, the military industrial congressional complex right so you have companies that want to build something once they start building it, they build it in 29 different congressional districts, which gets Congress, you know, approval and support. And then you have another company that's building a competitor. Well, those are being built in 57 different congressional districts. You have these two different companies going at it. Um, and then when it came time to pick uh, the prime contractor and pick one of the designs, uh, the United States found itself in a uh, in a huge, um, you know, economic quagmire in 2008, you know, nine. Uh, and so we didn 't choose because we were trying to keep the health of the industrial base going and keep both of those shipyards open
0: uh, building l c s s so kevin is that does that jive with your understanding of why we have two variants of l c s
2: completely uh, they were supposed to be Lockheed Martin was going to build one and three the freedom class, and General Dynamics was supposed to build two and four, the independence class. And the idea was that was called flight zero. They would down select to flight one after that. But as Bill said, this has more to do, I believe, with maintaining the industrial uh, capacity, shipbuilding capacity than it has to do with what is the most uh, effective and, and efficient way of doing things. I would also say that um with regard to expense the latest one cost 641 million dollars for 400,000 uh, dollars more you could almost afford a brand new DDG and what's most troubling about this is that as you know the new RFP is is out for the 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 next ship the the FFGX which is supposed to supplant, uh, augment the LCS class of ships whenever this happens. And it looks like industry is going to take one of those two classes of LCS and essentially upgun it. So the material, the manning, a lot of these issues would, uh, would continue in place. That's the worrisome thing to me is that, is this just going to be a modified LCS, which is then going to be called a guided missile frigate? And I'm not sure how you get there because in order to do uh, area air defense or local air defense, which is one of the requirements, it's not as simple as just plugging on a module. We're talking about a, a sophisticated radar, and we're certainly talking about uh, probably SM-2, which is not a trivial add to either one of those LCS hulls. So I'm not sure how, how they get there from from this, this RFI to keep costs low, theoretically, and to get a dramatically greater punch and an additional mission, which is air defense.
0: So re- remind me and remind the audience, Kevin, did we ever down-select? We did not. Uh, okay, so, so we're already not complying with the plan as sold.
2: Oh, uh, right. we never down-selected from flight 0 which is the that that was the two ships in competition
0: right so have we have we picked one or the other no we we decided to keep building both we're building both yeah so there's there's,
1: there's freedom class and there's independence class and there's you know roughly 15 of each now uh, going towards uh, about 16 of each um, you know unless congress decides to add more to the budget which they've done uh, the last several uh, fy's uh, the navy has not requested or, or has requested one, and Congress has plussed, you know one up to two or zero to one, and so uh, you know clearly this has been a um, it it's part of that you know congressional industrial military complex where you you kind of get into building something and then you can't stop building
0: it. So I, I'm just a humble aviator. I, I, I I'm a unfrozen caveman Rio. Um, so you have a monohull version and you have the catamaran version of tri, the tri oh yeah the t- trimaran version um of a ship that that is you know is meeting an original rfp's list of requirements right so are they the same speed do they do the same missions the same can they work together if i'm a a Desron commander what would i rather have a trimaran or the monohull you know, Kevin, what what what's up with the two versions in terms of practical use, tactical use?
2: I think that they have they have slight differences in terms of uh, of uh, capability, but that only has to do with the, the C frame itself. In terms of the modules that would be applied to them they're fundamentally uh, the same the the mine warfare module for example it was supposed to have certain features um, which which never quite made it uh, It was supposed to have uh, the um, an an airborne um, Mine detection system, an airborne mine neutralization system, and it was supposed to have a uh, a uh, uh, remote multi-mission vehicle which would tow uh, a son uh, a, uh, a sonar. That's those are the modules. They go on either one equally, um, so there's not a whole lot of difference between them in that regard.
0: So. Just in terms again, layman's explanation of these modules. So w- one day I'm out there doing um, mine warfare, right, and the next day I, I'm I'm tasked with the anti-air mission. So w- what do I do? Like, do I unload a bunch of uh, you know WRAs and plug and play? Do I need new crew? What what what? How does this go? How does this work? This is uh,
2: this is one of the the seminal problems. Um, these. The module was conceptually a one-day turnaround. In other words, you pull into port and you, uh, you, you take off one module and you crane on the other module. A couple problems here. One, the modules in terms of completion or robustness or capability or capacity have been problematic since the get-go. So I just mentioned the mine Warfare module. The, the mine warfare module has been gutted effectively. It is at all stop because the the centerpiece of that mine warfare module was this remote multi-mission vehicle, which you put in the water and it tows around this sonar that is supposed to find mines below the layer, if you will, deeper than an airplane could find. Well, because that, that RMMV failed so much, they stopped it. So the... The modules are problematic. It takes much more than a day to, to switch out a module. And while the requirements increased, the one thing that the, uh, that the Navy went to hold steady was the crew size. So it was originally going to be 75, not including um, air debt. But um, they worked to, to maintain that. This creates a problem. You have very specific skill sets required for each of these modules and air warfare by the way is not one of them, so that 's a new mission set um and and so you have uh if you 're the a s w module you have a s w specialists on board and you go into port and you turn into the the anti surface module you have to get new people on board it this is this this changing of modules was treated as and someone said it earlier, plug and play um, that is a a a gross oversimplification of what happens and I would conclude this by saying that originally there were supposed to be many more modules than there were actual C frames, so that there was the capability of 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 bulking up in one area if you wanted to now. I believe that the number of modules that are gonna be completed for the LCS class is roughly equivalent to the number of hulls. So this concept of we're going to be switching out capabilities of each LCS class and, and people aren't talking about this, this is sorta of gone by the boards. Basically if you're a if you're a mine warfare LCS, you're probably gonna be a mine warfare LCS and now they're establishing these LCS squadrons which have kind of unique and I would say fixed capabilities. So the you know the, the modularity, the, the plug and play, the um, versatility of the ships uh is really no longer a thing.
1: So, Kevin, here's a question and, and a, a little bit of background. Um, you know, there's been many times in the past in, in uh, not just Navy, but DOD procurement where we have bought a system uh, and then, you know, people are critical of it. Uh, but after some period of time and a little bit of, uh, you know, duct tape and, uh, you know, uh-huh. ta- tactical thinking and, hey, we, we, we you know, we can we slap a lantern pod on an F-18, and we'll, we'll do flex deck operations and run our cycle times down. And despite the fact that this airplane doesn't have a lot of gas, we can, we can make do with it, right? It's actually turned out to be a good thing. Um, and I remember the days, you know, m- my first deployment on an aircraft carrier uh, as an incident, and I was in an F-18 squadron, you know, the A-6 guys and the Tomcat guys, uh, Ward was probably part of this club. Uh, you know, we're very critical of the, uh, of well, the Hornet it, couldn't do a one plus 45 cycle. Right. The Hornet it just couldn't, couldn't do it. It, it, it couldn't do yeah. a long cycle. It yeah. could do a lot of things, but really? it, it couldn't, it, it couldn't do a, a very long cycle time. Yeah. Uh, but they, you know, over time we made do with it. So we have LCS now. Well,
0: no, 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 we, we the, the, that became the driver, right? The the cycle links capabilities, strike warfare, which you bring up a great point, which is uh, if I can segue the, the, on that the
1: adaptability of Navy yeah. people. Well, right? Well, okay, that that's
0: sort of uh, Roger that. Okay, okay, yeah, God bless uh, the <laughs> the troops. Um, they'll always do what they're you know they'll they'll take that sandwich and eat it. Um, but Kevin, you you mentioned earlier, and this I thought was illustrative with respect to the overall ship building strategy. So let's take it to 30,000 feet here. Um you you said we're we're building LCS or I'm sorry, you said there's an idea for the FFGX which is either going to supplant or complement LCS, right? So those are wildly different verbs. You know, and I think in that flexibility lives the absence of a cohesive shipbuilding strategy towards some warfighting end. Right. And I, I heard, and I won't say who said this to me, but it's a guy in a very high ranking position involved with surface warfare, uh, who said, we're not quite sure we're going to do with DDG 1000, you know? Um, so, okay. Um, that seems interesting since we're spending buku bucks on these things. Right. Um, so, um yes and in, in in fact we flex into well I mean you know the Tomcat didn't start as an air to mud airplane but it became right. one right um and a good one right so we just have this way of chucking stuff at the fleet and then hoping they'll figure it out based on you know apply enough pressure and you'll you'll make it work but to kevin's point before we stole the microphone back here um it was promised as a thing that was modular, that had efficiencies of scale based on the technology to include manpower, right? Right. So it was like, if you're an LCS guy, you can wear an Alpha Whiskey hat one day, an LCR hat the other day, um, and an Alpha Romeo hat the other day, right? Um, And uh, that's not true. And so in times of austere manning circumstances and concerns about Optempo, this is a big deal, right? Um, And and so um, I I think you nailed it, Kevin, by saying, "Okay, what we've built is an ASW variant, a mine warfare variant and an alpha whiskey air to air warfare or anti air warfare variant. Uh, And that's not what the program of record said they were doing. Not that not what was promised. Yeah. No.
2: And and um, I think that this has this has. And, and by the way, if I can recommend um, a a film, and uh, Bill talked about this, the it, Eisenhower in his his uh, final speech talked about the military-industrial complex, and in around the year I'll say two thousand and five, a film was made called Why We Fight, and it talks about that, and it also incorporates the congressional, so it's a military-industrial com- congressional. Complex that now kind of dominates what gets done, and those those decisions don't necessarily have the best interest in our warfighting capability in mind. They also are driven by things like the uh, industrial base, and I am uh, I'm upset to say that LCS. We appear to be hard over, we're determined to go forward with LCS, despite the fact that since its conceptual inception in 2004, surface warfare officers were agitating about it. They were told, sit down and shut up. And we have gone forward with this, and And you can ask a lot of questions. You're, great, you're going to... I call it artificially increased the size of the fleet because LCS is not designed to operate with the fleet. It is littoral. It doesn't have the, the legs um, to operate with the fleet in blue water. So what is the mission of this ship? Is it mine warfare? It's a very poor mine warfare ship at this point, which is why we cannot decommission either the mine warfare helicopters or the mine warfare ships like Avenger right now. It is the ASW module doesn't really exist at this point, and it's, uh, it's ineffective, and that's not my opinion. That's Congressional um, Research Office, um, and the other module is the anti-surface. Now, this appears to be getting the most interest because of its perceived lack of offensive punch. So we fire a harpoon cruise missile. That's wonderful. But what are these ships for? Are, are they, they're not going to operate with the fleet, so what are we going to do with them? And, uh, and, and is this more about maintaining shipyards than it is about building effective ships? Because the last truly effective ship that we built was a ship designed in the 1970s, the Aegis Destroyer. And you brought up the uh, the Zumwalt class of ship.
0: Uh,
2: th- that's a completely different subject and certainly worth investigation. You know, they're going to have three of them. They originally were going to have a number more of them. That's what became of SC twenty one. You know, this big, powerful, fifteen thousand ton ship that was replaced by LCS. Uh, but we're not building LCS. Uh, we're not building Zumwalt. Either we're going to build three of them. Um, they have something to do with uh, risk mitigation for future things, but um, I can tell you based upon my conversations with, with uh, um, officers in the ship and officers at surface forces that there's a terrible struggle deciding what exactly are we going to do with those ships. The only ships we seem to know what to do with are ships that were designed in the 1970s and we're still making them. That can't be a good thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, hearing you go through this, I'm just reminded of like an exotic car collector, you know, who has like the <laughs> rare year of the DeLorean and then he has this other car and he has to make his own parts to get it, keep it running and, you know, it's just not an efficient way because I'm just thinking of the... the the supply chain now, warehouses full of one-off, you know, replaceable assemblies and hardware and, um, you know, machinery and for a very small capability set within the fleet. You know, that that's a, a, an issue. The other thing, Kevin, so, you know, it's been a few years since I retired or certainly a few years before that since I was part of a carrier strike group. So, like you say, you don't have lcs is in company when you're doing flight ops you're transiting the suez or whatever it is you're doing as a as a battle group or a strike group right so who do they work for right i mean when, when i'm underway uh is ctf xx is this do they report to the desron do they report to the strike group commander who who the heck do the lcs COs work for
2: they work it, right now they um they go back and forth to Singapore primarily, um, where there is a, I believe it's called an LCS RON there, and um, also um, there's a flag officer down there, uh, Rear Admiral Gabrielson, who was the CEO of the uh, of LCS-1, as a matter of fact, um, and, and they're doing things out of there. But just as um, the Navy is struggling to define what exactly these ships will each do, what they will be good at. Um, they are struggling down there to figure out what exactly to do with them. And uh, in, in his um, distributed lethality concept from I think that was early 2016 there were examples given of, of there was one example given with an LCS a Zumwalt-class destroyer um, and something else, perhaps a frigate, uh, out in the blue water doing something. And, um, you know, it was was worrisome because there is no one who talks about the LCS class of ship interacting in blue water with other ships. That is, the, 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 the venue that you find DDGs and cruisers
0: in. Um, so, Kevin, do they? you, know, Let alone, uh, dis- despite. Yeah, I mean, even considering all of the the industrial
2: problems, the the search for mission, the requirements creep. The uh, uh, if we put real anti-service punch on one of these these ships, it makes them inherently unstable. The Navy is struggling to find out what to, what what best, how best to use these ships. So, as hey, Bill said.
1: Kevin, Kevin, I got a quick question for you. So, sure. um, you know, you mentioned that, that that they have not operated, and there's nobody talking about having them operate as part of a, um, you know, a a hunter killer pack or a uh, an ASUW package or you know, um, distributed lethality package. Do they have Link 11 and Link 16 on board? Are they able to to come up in Link? And if you were if you were able to load, you know, a, a quad pack of uh, navy strike missiles or uh, or harpoons on them or a anti-ship uh tomahawk uh could they be part of over the horizon targeting and you know if you put a um, uh, a fire scout UAV or fire scout det plus uh, uh an SH-60 on board is that is that a possibility or is that do you think that's even uh, a leap too far given the crew size and given the limitations of the hull
2: no i think it's uh, i think it's the, to me, the primary question is the limitations of the hull vis-a-vis how much weight you can put topside, whether that be a vertical launching system, a quad pack, armored box launcher, whatever you like. Um, that's the primary issue. They do have data links, um, and you know, conceptually, you could say they could form SAGs, um, of a number of LCSs operating in the near coastal region uh, doing hunter-killer missions? Absolutely. Sure. Why not? Um, now, th- what's more interesting is is how many of them, of the 30 today, if they're uh, dividing them up equally, then we're talking about 10 ships that would have this capability conceptually because 10 would be doing mine warfare and 10 would be doing um, anti-submarine warfare just at a guess, right? Um, so these ships have to deploy. They have to have maintenance. Y- you don't have that many of them is is the problem. But it absolutely makes sense that these ships... You know, one of the original things, uh, Admiral sobrowski's concept was these ships were going to be... Um, his words, not mine, um, uh, single serving. In other words, they were going to be very inexpensive and they were going to be almost disposable. They could be lost. Basically, uh, you know, they, they were not designed to take a hit. Um, and, and that's been part of the problem all along. Now, if you make these ships more robust, more able to defend themselves, more able to do this and that, if you can do that, then you can obviously use them for a lot more things. The problem is making them able to do more and more of that sure good getting up to the price of building a brand new d d g yeah we
1: had we've had two proceedings authors this year uh one was yesterday uh and one was uh, maybe five or six months ago the 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 one five or six months ago was a coast guard officer uh who is reading you know the back and forth within navy channels about the LCS and about how disappointed the fleet generally is about it and the coast guard officer was saying hey uh we could use LCSs down here in the fourth fleet uh, area in the in the caribbean this would be a great counter drug platform you got a helicopter capability it's a fast uh you know it, it's fast and it doesn't need to have all that uh war fighting capability to take on a chinese sag in the you know south china sea so that was one op- opinion hey, we're building 30 of these things there's a need for presence and a, a platform in so the-
0: how much does the Gucciest Coast Guard Cutter cost. Yeah, not not nearly six hundred million dollars. Not right.
1: right. The other the other piece that we had, and we just ran it yesterday. Proceedings today, uh, by Master Chief Fire Controlman Tom Lore, uh, he he was writing uh, about things that the Navy could do today to quickly increase our lethality on a on a budget. And and his point on LCS is we should just cut and run. This thing is done. Uh, we've spent too much on it. We've built a you know built a ship uh, that I think our comments today. Uh, echo that you know doesn't have enough capability. It costs too much money, etc. And his point was that the Navy should uh, go in with the Coast Guard on the Legend class, the the new National Security class cutter, and that that sh- that platform, that hull, should be the basis of the Navy's FFGX. Uh, and I think it, it, there's a chance that the the builder of that ship may actually enter in the in the FFGX program in the competition. But anyway, those are two two points that we've had in proceedings over the last few months. Coast Guard officer saying, "Hey, we need these in uh, in fourth fleet or in the in the counter drug mission." Uh, and then a, a Navy uh, Master Chief who uh, very directly said, "We should cut and run, and then we should we should jump in on the national security cutter program, the Legend class, and the Navy should buy a bunch of those." Hmm. There's well,
2: been a um, that that is that is not a a new idea. It is a much admired idea. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who'd be much more comfortable with um, that proven hull. Um, I think that the It's just a nature uh, or a function of the system that um, people are in shock by the increasing cost of LCS, and so there's a great desire to try and keep the cost down while at the same time producing this much more survivable, much more uh, um, uh, armed version of, uh, of a ship called an FFGX, whatever that is, and um, my expectation is that the current LCS manufacturers will say that they can give you everything that you want and it will cost less than starting at ground zero with um, the National Security Cutter Hull. And that may be true. The question that should be asked, however, is what is the ultimate result that you want and are you able to get that with one of the existing LCS hulls and I don't know the answer to that um, but it, it doesn't seem to get talked about a lot
0: well that's sort of a circular discussion right you're like what 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 is the capability you want and they kind of ask well what can this do right and it's sort of like um, well we'll know when you give it to us and then we'll say yeah that's magically what we wanted that capability what that's capable of um, and I saw it uh, with other platforms that I've been involved in as well Um so we're out of time for this particular episode of the Proceedings podcast. Kevin, let me second what Bill alluded to at the beginning. Um I think single-handedly you've done the navy a great service in recent months in the wake of the McCain and Fitzgerald mishaps with your perspective and your expertise to include the the, the what you said on the panel in uh, the the DC forum, the defense forum in DC a few weeks ago. Um so let me pro- also uh, second Bills, thanks for that. You've uh, demonstrated the utility of the forum, the independent forum, since 1873. Um, and so thanks and keep writing. Thanks for your expertise here here today.
2: My pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you very much for, uh, for letting me uh, gab on a little bit. And, and I want to mi- wish you a, a Merry Christmas.
1: Merry it- Christmas to you, too, sir. Same to you, Kevin. We'll see you
0: in uh, February at uh, West yeah, if we don't yeah, talk sure. to you before, looking forward to coming to your, your hood out there. in the. <laughs> hopefully the weather's going to be nice.
2: There's less snow here.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. All right, Kevin, thanks very much. Out here. Okay. All right, everybody. <laughs> thanks for joining us for the Proceedings Podcast. And as we just said, we'd like to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Uh, that'll happen between now and our next show. So hope everybody's... Uh, uh, able to be with loved ones and if you're deployed uh, know we're thinking about you and uh uh you know thanks for everything you're doing out there and uh thanks for being part of the uh, independent forum of the sea services we'll be back on the uh,
1: third of january and uh, we hope to get uh, fleet master chief paul kingsbury to join us on the show that day
0: okay um we love Master chief kingsbury and uh, look forward to having him as a regular and persistent presence here um okay everybody thanks and remember victory begins at the naval institute